Good morning. It's time for everyone's favorite science segment, Everything is Interesting. Here with us is Kira and Kira from the Science Project, the educational nonprofit that's dedicated to making learning science fun. Hi, Belinda. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I hear we have some great holiday-themed science to discuss this morning. Yeah, we do. Uh, It's nearly Christmas, and if you're an avid pursuer of a rare and unique species, then this is a very exciting time for you. And that's because Christmas Eve is when you have the best chance of catching a glimpse of the elusive Santius Clausidae, or more commonly known, the Santa Claus. So there is some speculation as to whether the Santa Claus is actually real or not. I mean, have have you actually ever seen the Santa yourself? A couple of a couple of times, yeah. Oh, you're lucky. Yeah. This is rare. I mean, <laughs> you, should, you should probably take some photos and sell them on eBay. I should, yeah. Uh, well, you also probably felt its presence. You know, I mean, generations have observed the impacts left by the Santa Claus on human habitats, like the annual pressure felt in December on our cookie and milk supply, the notable increase in the market value of video games and skateboards, and of course, the shocking number of chimney repair calls made in January. I mean, it's pretty strong evidence. Am I right? Yeah. So unfortunately for those super nerds like us who would like to study and learn more from the Santius Clausidae, we have no DNA samples. We only have stories and tales to give us any clues as to what the Santa Claus is actually like. So in lieu of having hard biological information to share with you today, we are instead forced to imagine what the Clausidae species is like and how it behaves in its natural habitat, which is the Arctic. So to start with, because of its presumed ability to domesticate reindeer, we can assume that Santius clausidae is either a mammalian species or a type of ant. And legends of this aptitude in the art of toy making leads us to think that the Santa has opposable thumbs and is probably able to use tools. So it might resemble, you know, an orangutan or a koala. But your typical koala couldn't survive Arctic winters. So what adaptations must this strange and wondrous creature, the Santa, have developed? By examining what we know about other organisms that live in the Arctic, we can infer the physical adaptations that the Santa Claus might need in order to survive the harsh and variably frozen conditions at the North Pole. And hopefully in today's show, we can paint a rough sketch of what this revered, sometimes misunderstood creature is really like. And you might learn a little bit about the Arctic along the way. The Santa also might not end up what you expect, and he certainly isn't going to be anything like the pictures that you see in children's books. Okay, so what is the Arctic environment like? When we say the Arctic, we are referring to the region above the latitude of 66 degrees. So if you took one of those like compass circle making tools that you used in elementary school and stuck it on the globe, you could draw the Arctic as a circle with the North Pole at the center and extending roughly 1,600 miles out in every direction. It encompasses land and water from several continents and oceans. The circle is not arbitrarily drawn on the globe. It actually marks the latitude above which the sun does not rise on the winter solstice and does not set on the summer solstice. In fact, the North Pole itself experiences several months of continuous sun and several months of continuous darkness, during which survival is extremely difficult. Unless, of course, you have very specialized adaptations. Oh, and it's also really, really cold, in case you didn't know that. 
At the North Pole, summer temperatures can reach highs of 32 degrees Fahrenheit. But before you start thinking that that sounds like a nicer place to live than, say, Chicago, the winter temperatures average around negative 40 degrees and they can drop to around negative 60. Okay, so what do you think that it would take for the Santa Claus species to survive in this kind of freezing environment? Uh, blubber. Ding! Yeah, that's <laughs> right! The Santa Claus would probably be covered in blubber, which is a special type of thick, oily fat that provides excellent insulation for internal <coughs> organs and also serves as storage for both proteins and lipids for when food is scarce. Insulation isn't the only key to staying warm. It's also important to have low body mass to surface area ratio. The less of your body mass exposed to the outside world, the less heat you will lose. And the rounder you are, the less exposed you are. This may sound weird, but think of the surface area of a regular balloon versus the surface area of a giraffe balloon animal or something with the same volume of air inside. In the long, thin giraffe balloon, it takes much more latex to contain the air because the air is more spread out over space. In a round balloon, the air is compacted in the middle, meaning less latex needed to contain it. And if you were a warm-blooded balloon who lost heat whenever your latex was in contact with the, with the outside air, and you were trying to stay warm, you would definitely want to be the round balloon. The point of all this is that Santa, most likely, is nearly an entirely round fellow. Also, maybe the Santa Claus is really furry. You know, in an environment where one is contending with both cold air and cold water, a thick layer of fur is invaluable. Fur creates a pocket of air that separates an animal's skin from the outside environment and prevents an animal's body heat from escaping. This works in much the same way that double-paned windows keep the heat in your house from escaping. Oh, and then we mentioned cold water. So another characteristic of the Arctic region is that it's almost entirely ocean, the Arctic Ocean to be exact. It is the shallowest and least salty of all the oceans on Earth, and it's home to a huge array of species. While frozen tundras and floating ice sheets provide little area for terrestrial life to grow, the Arctic Ocean itself is rich with organisms, which also means it's full of protein and nutrients. Yum, yum, yum. So small animals like jellyfish, copepods, and shrimp feed on the rich blooms of plankton found in the Arctic Ocean. And then larger marine animals like fish, seabirds, whales, sea lions, dolphins, and seals also thrive in the rich waters of the Arctic, feeding off of those delicious jellyfish and shrimp. Hmm, the food web. Well, that's nice for the jellyfish, but what exactly does the Santa Claus eat? Good question. Good question. Well, the Santa Claus is likely not a vegetarian unless it somehow survives solely on Christmas cookies. What land exists in the Arctic is extremely barren, and it's home to very few edible plant species. Most of the landmass contains a layer of permafrost, which prevents plants from taking hold. And those plants that do manage to exist only flourish for a brief period of time, making it pretty difficult to survive as an herbivore. There are no humanoid species known to live actually at the North Pole. It's just too harsh. But the Inuit people who do live in the farthest northern areas, in places such as Canada, Greenland, and Russia, they survive by eating on a diet high in protein and high in fat. So large marine mammals like seals and whales are rich in both and have been a primary food source for many traditional Inuit hunters. So, to have survived for so long, in such harsh conditions, the Santa Claus also probably persisted on a steady diet of rich, fatty, arctic marine mammals. So, how does it hunt? Well, we can assume that the Santa Claus doesn't live primarily in the sea because of all anecdotal evidence that shows him primarily being a land-dwelling creature. But since the Arctic Ocean is the richest source of food, we can bet that it hunts directly from the sea. This might mean plunging into the icy depths to hunt for delicious fatty sea mammals. 
To do this, the Santa Claus would need to have the ability to hold its breath for an extended amount of time. An elephant seal, for example, can hold its breath for up to two hours. Can you do that? No. How does the elephant seal do that? Well, by slowing their heart rate and redirecting their blood from their extremities to just their brain, heart, and muscles. Pretty impressive. So if the Santa hunts in the sea, then it must possess a thick coat of insulating fur. But not just any ordinary fur. Its fur would need to be highly specialized, packed in a specific geometric pattern, and covered in oil to create an optimal flow of water over the surface of its body when it swims. The fur also traps an insulative pocket of air between the outer oily layer and the skin beneath. The better the water flows around the animal, the longer it can prevent cold water from penetrating the protective air pocket around its skin. This would allow the Santa Claus to dive really deep into the frigid waters of the Arctic to hunt for food without losing all of its precious body heat. Oh, and to hunt in Arctic waters, the Santa Claus would probably need at least one pair of flippers. Oh my gosh, you have it? Arctic seal with you in the studio? Yeah, he's, he's really warm. Really, really warm. I don't think he likes it here. All right, so another consequence of so little vegetation being able to grow in the Arctic tundra is that there is very little shade. In the most northern regions of the Arctic, closer to the North Pole, this means super severe exposure to and reflection off the snow of solar radiation. I mean, talk about sunburns. Furthermore, winds from the changing seasons bring in and out large quantities of ozone, which normally protects us from UV rays. So at certain times of the year, organisms in the Arctic are exposed to much more ultraviolet radiation than the rest of the world. High levels of UV radiation are extremely damaging to cells of all kinds. Skin cancer, everybody. This is why we put on sunblock when we go to the beach. Well, the beach in summer. UV rays can denature proteins, produce free radicals, and damage DNA. So organisms that have been able to survive many generations of high-level UV radiation exposure must have some sort of adaptation to protect themselves. So let's talk about how you protect yourself from UV radiation if you don't have access to sunscreen. The most basic adaptation is skin. Hmm. <laughs> what if you have no money, That's... Jefferson, for sunscreen? What if you Get have a no... job. Oh. oh, you've changed. Ask for help. <laughs> it always derails, doesn't it? So let's pretend that the only adaptation you have is skin pigmentation. Melanin, which is the molecule that gives you the appearance of having a tan, is a natural protection against these rays. That's because the melanin molecule dangerous UV energy. And how does that work, per se? Well, to make room for the incoming UV energy, the molecule first gets rid of a photon by shooting it into the surrounding tissue. The photon then releases energy as harmless heat. The melanin molecule is then like an empty baseball mitt, ready to accept the incoming UV energy. And everybody has melanocytes, which are the cells that produce melanin, but life in particularly sunny and therefore UV-saturated places selects for species who naturally produce more melanin than others. So many animals in the Arctic have dark, pigmented skin to help block UV rays, and we can assume that the Santa Claus is no exception. But there's a problem with being brightly colored when you live in an entirely white environment like the Arctic. Darkly pigmented skin kind of makes you a walking target for predators, which is why some animals, like the aforementioned marine copepods, they look like teeny tiny shrimp, have developed the ability to change colors. When they have to come close to the surface of the water and thus be exposed to stronger UV levels for an extended period of time, the copepod's skin releases melanin, and then they appear bright red. But when the copepods have to retreat back into the depths of the sea and are not exposed to any UV light, they become pale white and almost see-through, which makes them virtually invisible to predators. Lucky them. Another adaptation for living in an incredibly sunny environment is the ability to use UV radiation to your advantage. 
The reindeer, for example, have eyes that are specifically protected against UV damage, but they also have the ability to perceive ultraviolet light. So that's a talent that only a few mammals have. Now imagine for a moment that your most dangerous predator, the polar bear, reflects all wavelengths of visible light just like snow does. White bear, white snow. This is how reindeer die. Okay, but now imagine that your most dangerous predator also absorbs ultraviolet light and that you have these amazing reindeer eyes. So you can see that light radiating Like those them. green nighttime goggles? Pretty yeah. well, yeah. Like Ray J? Only the polar bear is what's glowing. I mean, how, it's also kind of terrifying. But okay, so but now <laughs> instead of a, of a white bear <laughs> hidden in a white snow, the thing that's trying to eat you instead appears as this big, obvious glowing beast. And your chances of survival would increase by quite a lot. Cool. So in order to survive at the North Pole and not get eaten by polar bears, the Santa would have to have snow-white skin, and when it was going to be exposed to extreme youth garden, its skin would turn bright red. And not like jolly red, like bright lobster red. Also, it can see in different spectrums of light, which is how it sees you while you're sleeping. So no more underestimating Santa Claus's omniscience, shall we? Wait, wait, so you're saying that Santa may be hunted by polar bears, um, but how do we know that the Santa Claus doesn't eat them? We don't know. But we can only imagine, and honestly, to be able to hunt such powerful apex predators like the polar bear would mean that the Santa Claus would be one heck of a monster predator itself, which is absolutely horrific. Or it would terrific. Also, oh, yeah, or terrific, yeah. <laughs> Could be, unless you're a polar bear. Uh, it would also provide an altogether too convenient red herring reason for the polar bear's population decline when the real culprit is actually the melting Arctic ice caps. So. <laughs> so wait, so this is all great. So now Santa is apparently a round, uh, terrifying monster, which will completely <laughs> thrill my 11-year-old. My 11-year-old is going to be thrilled. Yeah, but, what about, but what about the elves? For. Like, what do the elves look like? Well, since the Santa Claus has so often been depicted as surrounded by clusters of happy, smiling elves... I would harbor a guess that the actual Santa Claus species has some sort of symbiotic relationship with another so far undiscovered species that we know from myth and legend as Christmas elves. Another method to keep warm in the Arctic uh, organisms use, particularly mammals, is this idea of huddling in groups. So heat radiating off of one organism's body can be absorbed by another. It's great. It's fun. In the case of the Santa Claus, perhaps this is the reason it is said to be constantly surrounded by elves. Santa very well could travel through the freezing Arctic wilderness covered in a tightly knit cloud of endothermic, or otherwise known as warm-blooded, Christmas elves. Either that or groups of several very round, very oily, horrific Santa predator beasts huddle closely together at all times, which is a markedly more disturbing possibility. Or, but we're or, oh, oh, go currently assuming there's only one Santa. This is also an idea, right? Maybe the elves actually feed off the bits of food left behind from the Santa's feasting. Uh, okay, so like it keeps the Santa clean, right? And in return, the elves get a free meal. This is getting weird, isn't it? I'm going to keep going. So imagine <laughs> tiny elves nibbling bits of narwhal out of the Santa Claus's beard mane thing. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship similar to that of cleaner shrimp and ocean fish. Cleaner shrimp, if you don't know, clean their host fish of parasites. Both species benefit, the shrimp get a meal, and the fish keeps free of unwanted gunk. 
You know, it's like, um, you guys ever seen Finding Nemo? Yeah. Okay, it's like that shrimp in the beginning, the Jacques the Shrimp. I, oh, I yeah, think yeah, we have yeah. A clip. Jacques the Shrimp. Do you, you want to play the so, clip? Yeah. Which one is it? I'm from the ocean. Ah, the ocean. The ocean! Mm. Ah! Oh, oh, he hasn't been decontaminated yet. Jacques! Wait, clear! Oh, there he is. Wait. Ocean! Ooh, la mer! Bon. Voila! He is clean. There we go. That was Jacques the Shrimp, everybody. He was a cleaner shrimp. But, so maybe that's the elves. So if our inferences are correct, the Santa Claus is a large humanoid terrestrial mammal that hunts primarily in the ocean. It is probably mm-hmm. round in shape and has a thick layer of blubber as well as an insulative layer of oily fur like a walrus. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes time to feed, it plunges into the Arctic waters and alters its blood flow and heart rate so it can hold its breath and hunt for the nutrient-packed flesh of Arctic marine ant- mammals. Then the Santa so Claus has the ability to see extra wavelengths of light, a.k.a. supervision. It can change yep. the pigmentation of its skin from a snowy white to bright lobster red at will and is surrounded by a swarm of species of elf which with the, the which uh, lives with Santa Claus in symbiosis, right? Yeah. Am I getting all this right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then on top of all that, according to con- common conjecture, for a brief period in late December, the Santaius Clausadei, I'll get it right eventually, mm-hmm. makes an unprecedented migration all the way around the world in a single night, possibly utilizing a warp drive technology to deliver presents to all the good boys and girls out there. Is that correct? I don't know. What do you think, Jefferson? Sound pretty accurate? Yes. I, I take my cues from the movie Santa Claus starring, uh, starring Dudley Moore. Uh, and so, uh, or I think that Santa Claus is black uh, because I think probably 21st century Santa Claus is probably black. Do we know anything about the melanin levels in Santa Claus? Is, in fact, Santa being white just a racist conspiracy? Uh, <laughs> no, because he wouldn't be white all the time. He would actually be... I, have, was, like, close to the top and, of the ocean. I would say he's less white and more secret. Yeah, right, more like transparent. Like, like a translucent Santa. Santa. Yes, so that he can't yeah. be seen, you know. But it sounds a little bit terrifying, but of bright course red. this is all he's speculation and inference, which is what we'll have to go on until we can find DNA samples from the actual Santa specimen. But most of all, I just really enjoy getting the scientific analysis that you're providing. Sure. You I know? also want to see Santa. the movie. I just right. like was... I want to see the movie about the Santa Claus yeah, and yeah. that whole it's pretty we terrifying. Too. Well, we want to Merry Christmas movie producer, please call us. <laughs> we want to say thank you listen to KXRY Port 107.191.1 FM streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. That was everything is interesting with Kira and Kira.